0: listening to the rainmaking podcast hosted by high stakes headhunter, author and professional speaker Scott Love.
1: Hi, this is Scott Love and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I hope you're getting some value from this. If you know of other speakers and authors that speak and write on the topic of client development, please introduce them to me. I'd love to get to know them and have them on the show. Our speaker and our guest today, his name is Bob Potter. Now, this is from another show I did several years ago, but his content was so impacting that I wanted to take that and bring that front and center to you today. Bob Potter is a managing principal of R.A. Potter Advisors. It's a marketing and sales strategy consulting practice for financial and professional service providers. He's the author of two books on the subject, and his articles have appeared in dozens of magazines and newspapers. I hope you get some great ideas from today's show. I've got with me on the podcast today, Bob Potter, who's Managing Principal with R.A. Potter Advisors. And today we're going to be talking about the preference value proposition. Bob, thanks for joining me on the show today.
0: Scott, happy to be here. I really enjoy your work.
1: Thank you very much. And I admire your content as well, Bob. And from your expertise in consulting and speaking and writing to those that sell professional services, I know that we talked before about the phrase, the preference value proposition. Can you give me a working definition? What does that mean? And how would that be helpful for a law firm partner to know what that means?
0: Uh, Well, I'll just simplify it. I'm going to ask a question of your listeners. And here's my question. Why should I choose you over your very best competitor? And I'd like your listeners to think about that for a second and really try to emerge, what is the single most important thing you want to communicate to a potential new client as to why you should be chosen not over the weaker players, but literally against your very best competitor? So think about that for a second. And while they're thinking about that, Scott, let me just uh, ask you a silly question. Let's say you went to, uh, you want to buy a new car and you came to Bob's car dealership. And I said, Scott, I've got the perfect car for you. It's this one. You know why? It has airbags. Would we have a deal, Scott?
1: <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't have a, have a deal. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? It, it has airbags. Because every car has airbags.
0: All right, but let <laughs> me ask you the follow-up question. Would you buy a car for your family that did not have airbags? No, I would not. Okay, well, here's the point. Airbags are critical. You wouldn't buy a car without them. It's just that, as valuable as they are, they're not creating preference. They're not causing me to Mm. prefer one car over another. All right, why did I ask such a stupid, silly question? Well, because I've been interviewing the clients of professional service firms, and what they're telling me is when they ask the competitors why they should be chosen, everyone is delivering airbags. It's our people, it's our experience, it's our research. On and on. It's our platform. It's our international exposure. It's our specialization. Whatever it is, think about this. Does your competitor say something similar? And almost always they're saying the exact same thing. Now, think about that from the client point of view. If I've gone through my search and I've narrowed to my, you know, my short list of top providers, They're all really good. They all have great experience. They all customize their solutions and, you know, all the things that you say. So as soon as I have one viable alternative that's comparable, you're a commodity. And the only way to choose a commodity is the only thing you can see different, which is feeds. So people come to me and say, Bob, I'm so frustrated. Our clients don't get that we're different and better. And I say, well, you're not really helping Because, you know, when a client says to you, why should I choose you? They're really asking three questions. Number one, what's different? How are you different than your best competitor? Number two, why does that difference? Why is that important to me? Why should I care? For example, a lot of people will say, I don't know, let's make it up. Let's say, oh, we have, you know, we have international capabilities. And I'm thinking, well, I'm in Cleveland and all my business is in the Midwest. Why the hell do I care? So it may be a difference, but it doesn't create preference. So a differentiator has to have two things, right? It has to be one, it has to be provably different. And two, it's got to be important to me. Otherwise, it doesn't create preference. And the last question they're asking is, why should I believe you? Not because I think you're lying, but because you sell a service. And what makes selling a service unique is it happens in the future. How can either of us possibly know for sure what the outcome is going right. to be? That's so we have point. to really think about these three questions. What's different? Why do I care? And most importantly, why should I believe?
1: So let me pause you for a second, Bob, because this is a vein of gold, this concept, preference, value, proposition. I think for a lot of people that I talk to, some partners are doing well, others are struggling to get work. And those that are struggling to get work, they just can't build their practice. They're stuck at their firm and their service partners, and they're just not going to reach their full potential. What have you seen for individual practitioners of a professional service, whether it's accounting, legal, or whatever? What are some examples that you've seen or even firms have used as a preference value proposition that has resulted in the transference of money, firms getting new clients that are willing to pay fees for work?
0: Well, of the three questions that I asked, Scott, the key is, why should I believe you? You know, when you're, when you're selling a service that's similar to someone else, let's say 98% of what you do is identical to what they do which means that the winner is gonna be chosen based on that one or 2% that's left. So it doesn't take much to create preference. I mean, if you think about the Olympics, somebody's gonna win a swim event by one 100th of a second. Right. Now in business, you know that just makes you the first loser. You get paid right. nothing. Right. But But that's what I try to convince people. If what you do is similar, then what's gonna be key to me is your proof, your stories, your benchmarks, your testimonials. So the prover always has an advantage. Since almost everyone is speaking in airbags, if you could just take me a touch further and say, give me proof. Let me give you an example from another world. Let's say you're a portfolio manager of a real estate portfolio. And you're looking at your portfolio over the weekend and you're thinking, man, I'm in the wrong asset class, in the wrong location, at the wrong time. But then you get some inside information, I, I mean research that this other area is about to take off. So your objective is just to redeploy your capital as fast as you can. So you talk to a broker and the broker says, wow, this is great. We really know the market. We have a lot of experience. We know the price. You know, we've done this before, yada, yada, yada. And I can get you an arm length worth of testimonials. So you say, well, that's great. Uh, you know, if, if I go with that person, uh, you know, that's fine. That's an what I call an invisible market win. There was no competition. But as soon as I have even one comparable choice, then I'm not saying, can you do it? I'm saying, can you do it better? So let's say I talk to the second broker, and the second broker pretty much says the exact same thing. But then they say something like this. Well, you know, we recently inherited a property from another brokerage firm that had been on the market for six months. Using our private investor execution, we were able to identify a buyer in three weeks. That buyer actually came from a different geographic area, in fact, was brought in by by another brokerage firm, but the seller told us that our open execution dramatically accelerated the sale. They just wish they knew about it, you know, six months ago. Now, if you were choosing among those two brokers, who would you choose? Right. You know, it's so don't stop at we have this capabilities. You know, those are all capabilities are about the unknown future, but stories, benchmarks, and testimonial are about what actually happened in the past. And by giving me proof or evidence. It's more believable. And obviously, you know, attorneys should be good at evidence. So, you know, persuade the jury with the dominance of evidence. And here's the good news your competitors aren't doing it.
1: That's right. And I think the fact in your example, you got very specific. And I think that's where people are going to find truth in that specific story. Even if you can mention the name of XYZ client or whatever, or if it's appropriate, but just showing. That specifically, this is how we're going to do this. This is my process, step one, two, three. And this is how how it's going to help you. What's interesting, I've seen just by going into law firms, like I told you before, I've met with a lot of firms, over 50 firms in their offices. And when I'm learning about a firm to recruit on their behalf, I always ask them, what's unique about you? That's what I used to ask, what's unique about you? And everybody would always tell me, we've got great culture. Well, the problem is that everybody has great culture. Everybody has airbags. So I learned to ask this question, what can you say about your firm that nobody else can say about their firm? And that's where they have to really think deep and hard about, okay, well, and then I'll even ask them, what are your core values? How does your core value represent? How does it manifest itself in a tangible way, in a distinct, unique way in your firm that nobody else can say about their firm? So I think just, and I'm sure you've done this with the professionals you've consulted to, Bob, helping people to find that preference value proposition. What, Let's say a partner is listening to this and she or she wants to take what you're saying and really go take it and apply it. What are the action steps you would recommend that person do to really find out what their preference value proposition is?
0: Yeah, well, here's my quick answer. Harvest testimonials. Here's the problem. We as professionals don't experience the market. We see the market from our position out to the client. The client, however, does experience the market. They've worked with other firms. They know why they chose them and why they didn't. So it's interesting that when you really think about it, we as practitioners don't really know how we compare. right? But our best clients do, so go ask them. So hmm. go back to your best clients and say, why did you choose us? Why do you continue to choose us? Now their first answer is going to be an airbag. Oh, you guys, I really like your experience and you, you know, you're really responsive, whatever it might be. But push them a little bit. Say, okay, well, everybody says that. What's truly different? Can you share as an example? Uh, can you quantify that? Now, what you're gonna find is they know better than you do why they chose you. You're gonna start to hear things. Now, there are two good outcomes here. One is you're gonna get great evidence and you're gonna get permissions to use that evidence. But what's gonna happen that's more important to you as an individual is when you feel like you've been commoditized in the market, when you Mm -hmm. hear a client tell you why you're different and better, It affects you emotionally. It almost doesn't matter what you say. If you truly believe you're different and better, your body language is going to communicate that. Add to that that new evidence where you can say, hey, Scott said this about us. This is why they chose us. So it's actually a third party endorsement who experiences the market more than you do. So the point is, you don't have those answers. Your best clients do. Get out there and pull that out. Now, What you want to do is build a library where you can share these with other people. But also what you want to do is see what those messages are and then really try to form your practice around that and really try to reinforce that and then brand it. So everybody is saying the exact same thing that you all the way down to the associate to the receptionist has the same message. And everybody has that identity. So really, your preference value proposition is your identity, which then becomes your strategy. And it makes it easier for clients to choose you, easier for clients to prefer you, and easier for clients to pay you what you're worth.
1: So is this something that should be done on an individual practitioner level or more broadly on a firm level?
0: The answer is yes. Yes. Look, you have your value proposition, partially because of the firm you're with, right? That's the mothership value proposition. That's really the identity, the brand, the marketing. But next, you have your practice area. You have a certain brand because you participate in this practice. Let's say it's intellectual property or whatever it might be. Then you have your brand that you as an individual. For each one of those levels, you want to think, what's different? Why is that important? Or should I believe you now as you as you grow in the law firm from associate to partner to senior partner uh, to Rainmaker, it's more the firm that relies on you. But it's at all three of those levels that everybody has to have a clarity and consensus of who they are, what makes them unique in the market. You know, it's almost goes back to Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning uh, in a corporate or, or, or legal environment. That is your purpose. That is your identity. When you know it and it's easier for the clients to know it, it's much easier to choose you.
1: Those are great ideas. What's a success story that you've seen from an organization you've consulted with that took this idea and saw that in a very tangible way it bore fruit?
0: You know, there I keep getting when I put on a workshop, my favorite, favorite compliment I've ever had is, Bob, I saw every deal I ever won and every ever lost in that context. I've been working with uh, a woman who is transitioning from, you know, a a senior execution person to a rainmaker. You know, as you grow in this business, you have to go from being the expert to now bringing in the business, as as you're well aware. And so I was assigned to coach her by the HR group. And one of the things that I emphasize is, is one of the best ways to build preference you know, you've got this challenging way, which is to accelerate your message. But as you well know, Scott, there is this third level, as I call it, where you build partnership. Mm. And, you know, you've got to have a great message to get invited. You've got to have an even better message with difference, preference, and proof to make the short list. But, you know, from the short list in, it isn't what the client knows about you that's important. It's what you know about the client. So mm-hmm. what I had this person do is, is spend much more time doing a much deeper dive on this client and when this client had a problem to really explore the problem. Because when you're at the short list of providers, it's here's what I'm looking for if I'm the client. I kind of commoditize expertise. Now what I'm looking for is something more emotional. Who do I know like and trust the most? Right. Who do I feel understands you know, my industry, my company, but also my role, the politics, the performance objectives, the friction that I'm facing? Who understands our unique preference, decision process, circumstances, and situation? So instead of wanting to know more about you, you want to know more about them personally and professionally. And this is where I think frequently attorneys fall down. They believe that the more the client knows about them, the more likely they are to choose them. That's good to get invited. That's good to make the short list. But if you want to build partnership, that partner wants to know you understand, care, and are interested. So it's what you what you learn about them that makes them unique and then how you've aligned your service to uniquely fit them. That's what really builds that, that sense of feeling uh, that you talk about when you talk about retention. It's personal. You know, most of these big decisions actually boil down to a feeling. Uh, It's how I feel about you. If you're a vendor, I feel, okay, look, you're trying to win the business. I get that. I'm not going to hold it against you. But if I'm your partner, I got a different feel about it. I believe your objective is to help me win. So when this person went out and did this much deeper personal and professional alignment to a client. She said the results were unbelievable. She was sent to this client because no one else wanted to deal with her because they thought she was a cold fish. Well, when this woman went and engaged this woman at a deeper level, trying to understand what she was facing, they built a bond. And that's now a client for life. That's great. The beauty is when you get to that level, those clients will sell for you. They'll give you all the follow on business. They won't beat you up on price, fees and rates. They'll actually sell for you and become the source of those testimonials. They'll become your surrogate sales force.
1: You know, I can see your concepts, Bob, fitting seamlessly like a glove in the area that law firms need to change in the most to survive. Because the middle's disappeared. You can either go lower, you can go higher. You can go Tiffany's or Walmart. And some firms, they don't need to think about this because of who they are. Because they've been around for 100 plus years, they've got that kind of a name. They've got that kind of brand equity. Other firms say, well, we're just going to become a commodity, just like all the others. And we're going to cut our rates and see where it goes. And so that leaves most of the firms, many of which work in the mid-cap or mid-cap plus larger companies. They're kind of struggling. They're trying to find that identity. And so what they say is, we don't charge as much as the larger, more reputable firms. And that's their pitch. And you know what happens when price becomes the issue, it keeps going pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. So I think some of your concepts would fit perfectly in the area where these firms need to grow. So the question I have for you then is, how do they resist that price question? How can they take what you've taught us and and avoid that topic?
0: All right. Well, let's first think about why it's happening, because you're in effect the victim of your own shock, you're shooting yourself. When you're pitching airbags, you're condemning the competition to be price competition. You know, I identify 10 reasons why clients choose one provider over another, and it's gonna shock your listeners that number 10 is price. Price is the anti-value, the other nine are preference value. The further you get away from price, the less price controls the decision. The more I understand how you are different and better You know, it's not my money. I'd rather spend the company's money to protect my career. If I feel you'll do that better than someone else will, price is not going to drive my decision. So, you know, on the other end of that spectrum is personal relations. When I have a very capable attorney that I also have a great relationship with, price is not an issue. I'm not going to anybody else. I don't care what their price is. Now, because of price compression, you know, there is going to be this bell cow effort of people to keep their price reasonable. But here's the good news. At any price, your competitor will always have to be less than. So you mentioned this idea that there's so much price compression, it's a race to the bottom. But here's the deal. Here's a great question to ask a, a potential client. Who would you choose if our price, fees and rate were identical? If they say, I would choose your competitor, the only way you can win is to lower your price. Right, uh, It's a bribe. It's actually a legal bribe called a discount. Now, if you ask that same question again, say, now, who would you choose if our price fees and rate the same? And they say, I would choose you. Then you ask the next question, which is why? And what they're going to do is take you back up the hierarchy. Well, I like your experience. Your approach is better. I know I can, tr- I can trust you more. You understand our business better. You've aligned to us better. I know I can trust you more. All of those are creating preference. The more preference you have, here's the best news. At any price, you win. Now, the price may be too low and you say we can't compete there or don't want to. Good. That's your choice. As long as you're getting last look, as long as they're coming back to you and say, boy, these prices out here are crazy, you can say, look, yeah, it's it's apples and oranges. You've told me you would choose us at the same price. So what if I can get within 20% of that price? Are we good to go? Yeah, we're good to go. So, the key to avoiding price competition is to stop collapsing into commoditization. Don't believe it. It can't be possible for something as sophisticated as legal representation. The only reason it can happen is because you're not helping your client make the right decision.
1: You've got some great content, Bob. All of this, I think, is directly applicable to those people listening. And I can see that it would definitely result in a positive benefit for them. If somebody wants more, they want more of your content. Uh, tell me about the services you offer that listeners hearing can pursue, and what are some of the ways that they can reach you?
0: Uh, well, the easiest way, obviously, is email, and I'll do it slowly, but it uh, should sound familiar. B Potter at RA Potter So it's mm-hmm. B P O T T E R at R as in Robert, A as in Anthony, P O T T E R dot com. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, if, if, should I give a phone number, Scott, or? Absolutely. And we'll put all this,
1: we'll put all this on the show notes as well.
0: All right. Well, we'll leave it on the show notes. Uh, So let's talk because, you know, as with any situation, each, each situation is unique. So I'd really like to hear where the friction is in your client acquisition and retention process. And we'll dial something in for you. I've developed this program called third level selling. But as an individual, I have not only the capability, but the purpose of of dialing it in uniquely for every client. It can be delivered live by phone. I've got the e-learning version of the program. So there are lots of ways to touch uh, the client and and the issues they're facing. But obviously, it starts with a chat. And let's discuss where the friction is.
1: That's great, Bob. I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to be on our show. I think this is great content. I hope people reach out to you that can benefit from you. And I know that we'll have you back on here later on to talk about some other relevant topics that will help partners in growing their practices. Thank you so much, Bob.
0: All right, Scott, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.